0: Hello and welcome to a scholarly meeting. I'm Hazel Izerebe, and I'm a third-year medical student in um, and also a member of the Bioethics Interest Group, which is sponsored by the Center for Christian Bioethics. Today I'm here with Dr. Zane Uh Dr. Yi got his master's degree in philosophy from Loyola Marymount University in 2004, and a master's degree in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary in 2005. And then he received a doctorate from Fordham University And his uh, academic interests uh, actually lie in 19th and 20th century philosophy and their intersection with theological thought and practice. And Dr. Yi has taught a wide variety of courses ranging from Introduction to Philosophy, uh, Philosophy of of the Mind to Contemporary Christian Theology, Ethics, and World Religions. Dr. Yi is also a founding member of the Society of Adventist Philosophers, as well as a director of the Master's in Religion and Society program at Woma Linda. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Yi.
1: Hey, Hazel. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you. So I actually um, had a class with you. Um, I don't know if you remember. Of course. It's <laughs> 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 It's been, I think, about a year or two now. Um, you talked about Epictetus a lot. Oh, yes. Yes, and I uh, I remember going on um, iBooks and trying to find his book and buy it. I never actually bought it because, you know, ah,
1: money. I see, yes. But, <laughs> it but was you got through the class and ex- passed it, evidently, <laughs> yes. without the book.
2: Hmm.
0: So today we're going to be talking about philosophy mainly and we will talk about philosophy and its intersection with ethics with religion and we'll just go through um, some questions there and just a simple conversation so for our listeners who may not be familiar with philosophy um, let's start by laying a simple foundation and talking about um, our understanding of philosophy what is it um, and how would you describe it in simpler terms
1: yeah, that's a great question. Philosophy is one of those words that is used a lot, and uh, depending on who's, u- who's using it, it could have uh, different meanings, right? Mm. So I think uh, let's uh, try to talk about it most simply. If you try to break the word apart, uh, it's uh, Greek, uh, from uh, the combination of two Greek words, phileo, which is uh, love, mm. and then sophia, which is wisdom. So philosophy would literally be the love of wisdom. wisdom. That's beautiful, actually.
0: It's kind of poetic, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So philosophy is the love of wisdom. Um, And it has developed uh, through history into uh, an actual, you could say, academic discipline. Hmm. Um, I would say some of the things that characterize it would be uh, the attempt to uh, think clearly and talk clearly about uh, important questions and issues mm. maybe that's that's a, it's a discipline of trying to do that um, historically i think in ancient greece where we get the word and some people would say philosophy as you know, uh, as we know it today uh, at least in the latin european american west context mm-hmm. is um, I used to encompass everything uh, all all domains mm-hmm. of inquiry mm-hmm. but what's happened as uh, these dis- different disciplines have developed and spun off and become their own disciplines uh, it's kind of left a certain nest of questions that can't be resolved by the methods of those disciplines Mm. uh, something that philosophers continue to think about so for example you know aristotle early greek philosopher um, wrote books on ethics Mm -hmm. he wrote uh, works on metaphysics if you want to talk about that, we can. Mm-hmm. But he also talked about animals and tried to classify them. He was one of the few people, first people that tried to classify animals as he observed them. And that, some might say today, is known as biology. Oh, and interesting. It's and it's its wow. own separate discipline, right? But there are other disciplines that haven't spun off and become their own thing. Um, and those are, some people will call them, constitute the academic discipline of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Right? But in the beginning, it was all just kind of one thing.
0: You know, it's actually, that's actually really interesting. I had no idea that that was the case, um, because honestly, I'll be honest with you, when I was an undergrad, I took my first, um, it was an introduction to philosophy course, and I remember thinking, um, you know, this is a lot of uh, frivolous, just, you know, very, why am I sitting here talking about the essence of a chair, and you know. Uh, I think, therefore I am. Like, why does anyone need this? Why is this important? Mm -hmm. Um, That was my experience with philosophy. Can you share a little bit about what your experience with philosophy is? When were you first introduced to it? And what attracted you to philosophy to start with?
1: That's a great question. Um, You know, for me, uh, I think it was actually when I was in college. I started reading my Bible for the first time. I had grown up. Uh, around church, in church. And it was a book, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't know if you, wow. yeah, I don't know if you are familiar with this mm-hmm. book. But yeah, you know, if you can imagine a young 18-year-old uh, reading, you know, about the meaning of life, you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. everything is meaningless. <laughs> yes. I've tried all these things. It's all vanity. Uh, you know, I was somehow, you know, really drawn to this way of uh, thinking about things. Mm-hmm. And I think it was both the way it was being talked about, but what it was trying to address, which is the big picture, which is what is the point of it all. And this is something that I think maybe many college students uh, in, in their kind of thoughtful moments ask, especially as as they're asking questions about what do I want to do with my life? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I want to major in? Who do I want to be? I would say these are classical philosophical questions. And I would say at, at they're uh, not just existential questions, which mm-hmm. is a a style of doing philosophy, but they're ethical questions of what is the good life, some might say. Um, And of course, I wouldn't have phrased it that way as a young Mm -hmm. 18-year-old student, but um, it was that kind of line of inquiry that kind of drew me to what I eventually learned was this is the kind of stuff that philosophers seem to address and talk about. Now, the other part of the story is is I did also, as I started uh, thinking about these big questions, um, I started seriously thinking about the things I had heard growing up in church um, and around the church. And I grew to start asking questions about, well, how do I know that this is true? Hmm. <laughs> is that's a, this, that's it, a very important question. Yeah, is this something I should believe? Mm-hmm. And then I also learned that these kinds of questions um, are also something that philosophers talk about. I eventually learned the word for that was epistemology, which is uh, questions about the nature of knowledge And, uh, you know, uh, what makes certain beliefs more worth believing than others? Okay, these are the things that philosophers kind of thought about. And and so it was it it was kind of, uh, I guess, personally wrestling with these kinds of questions that eventually drew me to uh, other figures who were asking and thinking about those questions. And then I discovered eventually a whole discipline where that's the kind of stuff that people are writing and thinking
0: about. Well, wow, I think it's I think it's amazing that you arrived at your study of philosophy through the Bible. I don't think that that's a that's a common route that most people take um, in discovering philosophy or even becoming interested in it. And I I love the way that you talk about it. Honestly, just hearing you um, speak about it, it sounds a lot more interesting now. Maybe it's because of the experience that I've had already, but it sounds a lot more interesting now than it did to me in undergrad. So. That's, yeah, that's amazing.
1: You know, I have a friend uh, on that note. She's a philosopher mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Abigail Ducan. She's at uh, City University of New York. She uh, recently put it to me quite nicely. She says, you know, you should study philosophy so your mind will be stretched <laughs> to be big enough to understand scripture. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Isn't that interesting? Right. <laughs> yes. So you got a scripture is too big and it's too complicated and vast and your mind has to be mm-hmm. stretched and made, uh, you know. Flexible. It has to be flexible and opened mm-hmm. up to accept uh, the the truth. I, I I really like that way of putting it.
0: That's that's actually definitely true. Cause I remember just. Um, in my undergrad philosophy, my very little limited experience, I definitely felt like I was doing a little like mind like backflips and like (laughs) contorting my mind and bending my mind in like different directions. At one point, I I was like, wow, this is this is a lot. The average person, (laughs) I see why the average person doesn't, you know, think about these things. Um, So the big question, I guess, would be, so why is it even important? Why is it relevant for us to ask these big questions? And bend our minds around these big, huge concepts? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, so I I would try to answer that question, I think at least in three ways. Mm -hmm. Um, One is, you know, there are certain questions that science, for example, is very good at answering. And those are questions that have to do with uh, empirical matters. Yeah,
0: things that you can measure. Mm -hmm.
1: That could be quantified. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are other kinds of questions that I think are equally or if not more important that lie outside the purview of let's say empirical methods Hmm. Um, and those are important to I think continue thinking about Um, questions about origin meaning uh, questions about I guess we'll talk about this uh, justice Hmm. um, fairness Uh, ethical concepts right these are not something you can see in a petri dish but they shape the way we think about what we should do (laughs) with what we discover Mm -hmm. using science and things like this right so there i think they're just fundamental human questions that not just college students ask but Mm -hmm. thoughtful people ask about uh, about about matters about reality Mm -hmm. Um, I would also say philosophy is a discipline um, because it is dealing with ideas and concepts. Uh, r- grappling with it uh, introduces uh, you to a way of thinking and talking and writing, mm. which would be some people would say argumentative. And argumentative isn't in like I'm angry and I want to begin to fight with you, <laughs> but it is kind of teaching you and it gets you better at understanding how to connect ideas with each other mm. and how to advance a point that may not necessarily once again just have something empirical that you are uh, you're dealing with And so by nature trying to do philosophy will make you somebody I think that will strengthen your analytic uh, thinking and writing ability and I think that's a skill that uh, that is helpful to anyone yeah. regardless of what you call yourself professionally I would say the third, really, uh, the benefit of studying philosophy is that in studying philosophy, you encounter not just one way of thinking about these things, but you encounter a variety of perspectives and views. And that helps as you come to understand those and engage those ideas um, and perspectives to better understand uh, the world in which you live. Both the diversity of views that are around us today, yeah. as well as the ideas that have, have shaped the way our society and our culture have developed. So it gives you an understanding of like, oh, this is where where this idea comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay? And this is the, the person who said it. And so it kind of gives you an orientation to the landscape, uh, the big picture, so to speak. Um, and then as you're doing that, of course, I think it helps you refine why you think what you think. So it's in encountering the perspective of others that you're uh, forced or say if you don't like that word encouraged mm. to develop your own thoughts on the matter
0: yeah i I could definitely see that because I remember just in thinking in my own thinking about philosophy and learning about um you know the earliest philosophers and i I remember feeling like it Definitely sounded like a conversation. So it sounded like you know this person proposes an idea and this person's like okay maybe this part of it is is that way but me what if this and you know things like that it kind of sounded like a conversation and everyone was putting in their own contribution towards an understanding and I definitely liked that aspect of um, philosophy do you think that there are any practical or perhaps real-life applications of philosophy in your experience?
1: Yeah, you know, aside from what we just talked about Mm -hmm. and the practical outcome of being a a clear thinker, Mm -hmm. a person who can understand and engage in arguments and understand the perspective of others, I think um, ideas matter. Yeah. And so some of these views that that people have and conclusions that have been advanced shape the way people live their lives, uh, shapes the way uh, institutions and policies come together. Um, So I think, yeah, they have the ideas themselves can work out in all kinds of practical ways.
0: Would you happen to have any um, specific practical uh, examples of how philosophy is important, say, in the field of ethics since we're talking about that?
1: Yeah, and I mean, actually, ethics is a branch of philosophy. Hmm. Um, And the way some people will talk about ethics is, you know, you have theoretical issues that other uh, other sub areas in philosophy deal with. But ethics deals with the practical. And I think, uh, yeah. And so, um, you know, there are different ethical schools and they shape the way often the way uh, what you're going to conclude on an important uh, ethical debate or topic. So, you know, this may be, I guess, review from, you know, your undergrad years. I don't know if you remember the example, the difference between uh, a utilitarian oh, um, yeah. and the way they think about how to think about uh, right and wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the greatest, greatest good, good for
0: the most, the most people. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so if you think about uh, right and wrong in that way, uh, what you're going to do when you're faced with an ethical dilemma, let's say, You know, is the example that people will give is you know, um, you know, on TV they have these TV shows where you know Jack Bauer, you know, captures somebody who might be a terrorist and might have information about a bomb that's about to go off, and you know, should he, how should he extract this information from this person? Uh, Is torture permissible? You know, and this is kind (laughs) of the scenario that gets set up, and the way that the way that uh, it's reasoned through is well, if this bomb did go off, it would like really hurt a lot of people Mm. so it must be okay to 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 torture (laughs) this person because the greater good and the potential uh, outcome justifies this action that 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 this one person is taking Mm -hmm. now that way of thinking about things is a utilitarian or consequentialist way of Mm -hmm. thinking about right and wrong now that is not the only way. Obviously, you can think about it. Yeah. The opposing viewpoint, which some people would, might say, is a deontological uh, kind of perspective, which is there is a right and wrong, and it's either grounded in the dignity and the rights of the individual that should be protected, or there are certain rules you should never violate. Okay, so it is always categorically wrong in every instance to torture people. Hmm. Okay, and so you see how so if you have a person that is thinking about ethics in one way, they might say. Hey practically it's okay for me to do this and it's gonna they're gonna do it mm. right based on or not do it based on this way of thinking and then there's gonna be a, an opposing way of thinking about stuff that says no you should never do that <laughs> that's always wrong and this is actually why we get a lot of the ethical debates we have today in society uh, the kind of these two positions debating each other
0: yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a really good example I, and I think that it shows how in a lot of ways we all use philosophy to some degree in our in our everyday lives and making like decisions like these, like ethical decisions or things that affect other people. And uh, I think that's a great example. Um, so since we're, this is an ethics podcast um, maybe we can talk about, maybe just lay down a foundation, uh, an understanding of ethics and what ethics is. Is that different from morality or, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of being moral right and wrong? Are they the same?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, this is a this is also another really great question. There's, I think, I want to differentiate between the way those terms, ethics and morality, are often used yeah. in popular discourse. And I would the way I've experienced it is it's interchangeably. So some people will talk about ethics yeah. and then they'll switch over and say then we're going to talk about morals and then vice versa. I think if you look at the history of those words. Um, and I don't know how, how deep you want to get into it. Ethics uh, is a word that you find in uh, you know, classical Greek tradition. Um, did, did you talk about questions of good and bad and the good life, mm. right? Uh, so this is good and this is bad. Those are the evaluative terms that uh, you're kind of using. And morality, uh, oh, man, i got to go back and look at my history on this. I think it's <laughs> uh, coming from English or German and more specifically Kant, and associated with thinking about uh, actions as being right or wrong. Okay. Right? And um, so, you know, th- maybe this is nuancing it too much, but something can be good and bad as in like, um, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you want to talk about that, the difference between a good and bad hmm. versus right and wrong? I th- yeah, <laughs> I, think,
0: I think that those are, it's so interesting because good and bad is such a broad it's okay. just it's very broad. It's mm-hmm. like it could be uh, good and bad in respects to like the quality of something. Mm-hmm. It could be good and bad in respects to, um, you know, the the rightness or wrongness or morality. I guess some mm-hmm. would say of, of it. So I'm not I'm not quite sure. That is a difficult or not difficult, but it is a question that could um, might take us <laughs> a long time to answer. Well, so or just
1: I yes yeah, so I don't know if you know we talked about consequentialist utilitarian approaches to ethics and juxtaposing that with a deontological approach, maybe another third camp, which Mm -hmm. is important to talk about uh, the virtue perspective or the virtue ethics approach, Mm -hmm. would be relevant here because these ancient uh, Greek kind of ways of thinking about ethics is more of a virtue kind of approach, which has to do with the good life and the flourishing life and has to do with the good person and the bad person, right? Which is uh, the way that virtue ethicists talk about Uh, ethics Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then the language of right and wrong kind of come more from a deontological perspective Uh, Mm -hmm. some might say uh, somebody like Kant would be more influential in using that kind of language so you actually have you know you could say ethics is more of a virtue way of framing things Mm -hmm. more of a Greek way and then um, the language of morality you know is more of a deontological way this is right this is wrong you know it's wrong to break this rule mm-hmm. whereas somebody might say well doing that action um is not the best thing or is bad for you mm-hmm. right or uh, isn't something a good person would do that's more of the kind of the virtue way of talking about
0: it okay yeah. okay um so since we were talking about um virtue ethics and Deontological ethics and all these different types of ethics and philosophies mm-hmm. and things like that. Would you mind talking a little bit about some of maybe your favorite schools of thought? Some of some, um, maybe some that are particularly interesting to you?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. I'd love to talk about that. Um, I uh, personally, currently, uh, and actually for the past few years, have been very interested in uh, philosophical school. Uh, many people will call it phenomenology.
0: Oh, I've never heard of
1: that. Yeah, and more particularly um, hermeneutical phenomenology. Okay. There's like a big two words for <laughs> yeah, you. Those right? are very big two words. Yeah, so phenomenology um, is a movement that people would say is in the 19th and 20th centuries when it starts. Okay. And it is kind of an approach to philosophy that seeks to be closely attentive to uh, the nature of human experience. And why things appear and look to humans the way they do.
0: Oh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah.
1: And so yeah. Uh, the claim here is that if we are actually attentive to our own experience, mm. which means our, our own conscious states and our own perceptual experiences, there's more there than what can be quantified by using numbers. Okay. Right. So the phenomenologist is interested in uh, the richness of uh, human experience and the way things appear. Um, And I would also include do not appear (laughs) (laughs) to to humans. Um, So hermeneutics is just basically then saying that it's, it's acknowledging and inquiring into why things appear differently to different people. Okay. okay, so there are certain aspects of experience that are seem like they're universal that are shared between different human beings and but then at the same time, things seem to appear very differently and so why uh why is that?
0: do you mm. think that that's that's a a question that you can answer by way of ph- philosophy or is that something more science more scientific like you know how we Or maybe more psychological, like how, you know, our past experiences or our memories or our traumas and things like that, like that shape our experiences versus, you know, philosophical approach of understanding that.
1: Yeah, that's a a really great point. And I actually think that it's not an either or here, Mm. but that uh, all these different ways of thinking about things um, can help us get a full picture of what's going on. So. Uh, You mentioned here, you know, we could talk about, yeah, things appear to different people because of, as you pointed out, their subconscious Mm -hmm. or their childhood traumatic experiences. And this would be maybe something, uh, the way that a psychologist might analyze it. If you get into like some, you know, theoretical schools of psychology, you might get into Freudian analysis Mm -hmm. or uh, Jungian analysis where you're talking about the unconscious or the subconscious and the way that really shapes consciousness. I actually think if you go back, there's historical intersections between these kinds of ideas and and psychology, what Mm -hmm. we call psychology today, or you know, theoretical psychology, (laughs) um, and and philosophy. Mm. But I think then philosophers also are interested in different ways that shape the way beyond just the subconscious that that uh, may uh, affect us, and and pointing those out, right? Uh, Language, for example, Mm -hmm. some people will point out the kind of language that we use actually shapes the way we think and the way we perceive. Well, I think that's a really interesting... Could you
0: give a little more, maybe, mm-hmm. um, like, an example of that? What, how would you... What would that look like?
1: Uh, you know, I was... Um, this is a podcast I heard a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I, it wasn't a podcast. It was, a, I think, a, an, an NPR newscast. And it was asking the question... I was pointing out that different words or different objects... Or different languages, sorry... Mm-hmm. Um, will take common objects and uh, use different kinds of um, the some some in some languages you'll take like for example the bridge, okay. and it will be a masculine noun, and in other languages it'll be a feminine noun. Hmm. And so you know, and so I, I think like in German it's die Brücke, and then in Spanish it's I forget. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the the point is that one is described in masculine in a masculine way and the mm-hmm. other is in a feminine way and so what they uh, what the study did was they actually asked people to give their associations of a picture they would show right and, and the languages where the noun is talked about or classified as being a masculine noun um, people would use you know the associations would be like strong powerful mm-hmm. okay and and then the languages where it was a feminine noun people would use words like elegant um, graceful. Okay, and so okay. here, here it is, is. We're all looking at the bridge. Oh yeah. But the words we're using are different. Yeah. Um, and then because of that, we're describing them differently. And that asks this question: like, So, what are we really perceiving uh, yeah. at a more at that more even fundamental level? Wow. Um.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Because y- you know, when you're when you're born. You learn how to think in whatever language that you speak, and that's how that becomes how you see the world and how you communicate, and that informs so much. That's yeah, that's actually really cool, I think. Um, So, with all these different thoughts and ways of thinking about philosophy, are there do you think that there is room for all of them to be right at the same time or to (laughs) coexist, Mm -hmm. or is that um, or? is one of them wrong for the other to be right? Or is, is mm-hmm. that even not a thing that we can, you know, say about philosophy?
1: Yeah, I think there's different ways that you can seek to bring about different perspectives. Um, and I, I think there's actually several different ways one can try to put it all together, is, is, is the question that I'm hearing you ask. I think something that I'm committed to is that I, I'd like to avoid or minimize contradiction in my life. So <laughs> yeah. if I encounter two philosophers or two schools of thought that are saying the exact opposite thing about the same thing at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, I'm usually, you know, want to say, OK, it seems like either they're both wrong <laughs> or one of them uh, well, is probably right. Or maybe both uh, perspectives are, right. are equally <laughs> in, uh, incomplete. Mm. Like right. There's
0: a little piece here and a little piece sure. here, and take it, put them together, and you get something that's almost close to reality. A bigger
1: perspective, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, so I think, so I want, I try to, I try to minimize contradiction, but then I guess the other, you know, the other side of that is that you want to try to get the the bigger picture as well. Um, so I like to think about truth making in, in in the light of all these different perspectives and the limits of human thinking and reasoning. Um, some some models that have helped me is There's a model called the overlapping consensus. I think this is a language of a philosopher named John Rawls, where you can actually take two different views and say, hey, is there, even if they disagree fundamentally or in some parts, is there areas where they agree? And you can kind of look for what is called the overlapping consensus. This is political Mm. philosophy. Uh, Maybe there's more truth in places where people from different perspectives actually agree with each other coming from the different perspectives. Um, The other is the view that um, sometimes we can try to think about learning and finding truth as a broadening of horizons, which isn't necessarily saying, oh, I'm going to disagree with you and eliminate you and your position and that only I am (laughs) uh, right. But somehow in my engagement with somebody who's other or uh, different than myself that what's happening to both of us as we talk to each other is that both of our horizons are being expanded to include each other okay i think that's a, a really beautiful image and that's not my image that's uh, a philosopher named godamer right uh, so see all these good ideas coming <laughs> yeah. from different philosophers yeah. and this is where i think philosophy is actually exciting is that some of these ideas that you encounter they really provide like a very helpful perspective um in thinking about these kinds of questions mm-hmm. Another a model I think is very interesting, and this is Hegel, a uh, dialectical model, which is, yeah, you can get two incomplete perspectives. And as they engage each other, a third perspective emerges that mm. helps make sense of the initial conflict or the the two positions. And this would be a kind of a dialectical approach to, to truth. Um, and is that as we continue doing on that, we can somehow, you know, uh, reconcile more and more views that initially seem to be contradictory?
0: Yeah, I think. I think that those are um, principles that are actually true of just life in general. You know, like when we have differing opinions, differing um, views on things, and we share our our different perspectives. Somehow, we, if we're open to, you know, um, accepting the truth that someone else brings or the their side of things, it helps us come to a better understanding. And it's not always that there is one side that's wrong or one side that's right and a lot of times it does we do like feed off of each other too and help each other grow in our understanding of things so I think that that's a beautiful way to look at it. Um, So since we are talking about ethics I would I would like to talk a little bit about um, the ethics of things like uh, justice and fairness and equality and things like that because I know that those are big topics in Mm -hmm. um, the field of ethics. Is there, we already know that philosophy kind of, um, kind of birthed, I guess, the field of ethics. Mm -hmm. And so obviously it would have, it would be tied into everything, but is there, are there specific ways that um, philosophy talks about or deals with or addresses issues of justice and and fairness and equality and things like that?
1: Yeah, I would say there's some, um, fundamental schools of thought and we've mentioned uh, some of them already and there's definitely uh, influential thinkers that have addressed these issues but where it gets interesting and this I guess goes back to our your previous question is that it seems that there's some pretty diff- different ideas about what justice is hmm. right and yeah. so what justice is to let's say John Rawls writing in the 20th century um looks pretty different uh from what justice looked like to Plato in ancient Greece. Yeah. And then you can compound that problem by just talking about um cultural diversity in the different way that justice is talked about by different cultures. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so that that raises all kinds of uh challenging questions. I think that um you know and, and then if you want to complicate the waters even more, I think that justice is a uh, a topic that, for example, I mentioned to you that I was really drawn to philosophy um, as a discipline studying the Bible. What's interesting is, as I've kind of tried to make sense of these ideas, philosophy, something that I've kind of been drawn back to is, well, the Bible. And I think uh, the way that the Scripture, the scriptures talk about justice and fairness is also a, an important thing to consider. Yeah. Um I would argue that uh, some of the views that we get in Scripture, the emphasis, uh, is distinct and different from uh, other perspectives that, that are on the table. And I think, um, if we're really honest, it has been deeply influential historically. So I would say that, you know, obviously in ancient Greece, Plato wasn't reading the Bible. Okay. But by the time you get to, let's say, for example, the Enlightenment, a lot of the ideals that philosophers are championing and, and trying to legitimize and put forth, they take as being obvious or uh, for granted as this is the way it is, and now we're going to try to make it make sense of it philosophically. I actually think is being drawn from the historical influence of uh, a religion and more specifically the Christian faith. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm talking about obviously Europe here, the European mm-hmm. context. So I think that, you know, this concept of justice and fairness, I think, is... Um, is is very complicated because it has a history, and that history says that there are many different uh, voices that have shaped what we think about it. Um,
0: Could you then maybe talk uh, a little bit about maybe the Bible's um, mm-hmm. stance on this topic, and then um, we can sort of maybe just go from there?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think if we um, were to look at one of the big themes in uh, the First Testament— or Torah, or the Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, a voice that I think are concerned that really emerges there is that um, there's a group of four people that, <laughs> that are mentioned again and again. And this is the widow, the poor, the orphan, and the foreigner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, And so I think it's mentioned again and again that somehow a Yahweh, or a God, uh, wants justice, and justice involves somehow the treatment of <laughs> this class of four people. Yeah. Okay? So... If we're and then I would say this is actually a theme that is picked up by Jesus and the early church and really emphasized in in a particular way that brings it about uh, brings about a cultural shift where it becomes kind of the norm to to be aware of and concerned about uh, the peop- the underprivileged, you could say. Yes. Okay, but I don't think that's the default mode of most people. Okay. Um, yeah, and if you were to talk about fairness strictly as kind of like people just getting what they deserve. Uh, you, it's it's very different from like, hey, you need to be mindful and care for the widow, the poor, the orphan, the yeah. foreigner. Okay? Um, and so, yeah, I think that the way that we reason about ethics today, if one is part of this tradition, let's say, and even not, you know, you've been shaped by it. I think there yeah. are many people who would say, hey, I don't know a thing about the Bible. But if you were to ask the question, hey, should, should we care about the poor, uh, the underprivileged? People are like, of course, that's what good people do. Uh, I would say, well, yeah, but there are probably points in history where people didn't think like yeah. that. And that, that wasn't think, the obvious
2: or the norm.
0: Yeah, and there yeah. are people who consider themselves good but don't think like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. And you, you, I think you're completely right in saying that a lot of people don't realize how much um, of their beliefs and their faiths and their their understanding of these like big ideas are shaped by the Bible and also, I guess— we're learning by philosophy
1: it goes both ways you know some people will draw the sharp line and they will say oh well philosophy is something that people who a secular uh, something that secular people do or somebody mm-hmm. people who uh, don't do religion reason right mm-hmm. or or and, and people who are religious somehow um are you know or just believe in the bible mm-hmm. i think it's a lot messier i oh, think yeah. uh, i think people who um read their Bible are shaped by philosophical ideas and the way they read their Bible often they don't realize is like yeah. some philosopher in the background is uh, shaping what they're reading and how they're reading it. And then I would say that many people who may have never read their Bible their entire life or suspicious of it are deeply shaped by some of the ideals and the ways of thinking that are in the Bible as Definitely. well. And that's the kind of messy cultural situation we're in. I, it's, it's, it's a beautiful mess, but this is why I'm interested in the hermeneutics issue the way things appear to us have a history um do. uh and yeah I'm interested in uh, trying to identify some of those things
0: well now I think I'm interested in <laughs> I'm interested in it as well so talking about um just the Bible and Christian faith let's talk a little bit about philosophy and faith so faith is uh, obviously a very important thing to a lot of people mm-hmm. and means different things to different people but talking specifically about the Christian faith um what are some specific uh, if you could give some some examples some specific examples of intersections between the christian faith and philosophy
1: yeah so i think if you were to um well so i think the word faith let me start off by saying this is one that itself is um used in different ways and for some people because of a certain philosophical orientation think about faith as being certain about beliefs.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay? And that way of thinking about faith is a philosophical school of thought. Wow. Somebody named Descartes liked to think about beliefs in this way, a certainty, okay? But a lot of people who are, uh, let's say, religious and c- Christian believers, when they use the word faith and say, well, so what, what, what do I mean by faith? It means I'm certain about these beliefs in the Bible. Um, is that an idea in the Bible or is that Descartes defining how we're supposed to think about faith? Um, yeah, I would argue that's what's actually going on. If, we, if we're going to talk about faith in that way, I would mm-hmm. say if you actually try to study, okay, so what is in the Bible of faith? I say faith is not really often used as certainty about beliefs or propositions. Yeah. Um, it's about uh, trust. Okay, and the kind of trust we are to have uh, toward God. And uh, and that's based on the faithfulness that God has toward in fulfilling God's promises. So God is somebody that you can trust because God keeps God's promises. Yeah. Right? And so the whole question of like, how certain am I of ex belief? That way of even thinking about things is actually, I think, pretty foreign to, to, to the Bible. Okay? So I think I'm going off track here. <laughs> I, I'm just pointing out that when we talk about faith and, and Christianity, even that is kind of like, what do we mean by this yeah. word? <laughs> and yeah. that's shaped by philosophy often. Yeah. but to your question okay so how, how how is faith and philosophy? I would say uh, the history of uh, the Christian faith if you can talk about it as beliefs um, has uh, been always from the very beginning in dialogue with its culture and uh, a part of that culture has been philosophical reflection mm. which has then shaped the way that people have thought about the faith and tried to explain the faith to others okay so Uh, Christian theology in many ways has had as a constant dialogue partner uh, in both the Eastern and Western um, expressions of it uh, with philosophy and philosophical ideas. That goes back all the way to, you know, you look in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, I try to point this out to you in the class that you took, is in dialogue with a group of philosophers called the Epicureans and the Stoics. Oh, okay.
0: now I remember what the class oh, was called. that's
1: what it was about. Okay. Um. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah,
0: it was a class about Paul and the Romans.
1: Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay no that that makes that makes a lot of sense that definitely is a big question and it's a question that's difficult to answer and definitely one that i don't think that we could uh adequately cover in the hour that we have but um just really quickly i i wanted to know is there um would you say that for maybe a lot of people or other philosophers that you know um that maybe might uh subscribe to one or many of the philosophical like ideas that are out there would you say that these kind of serve for them as a kind of religion as maybe christianity might for some people or as a creed or something that they follow in their everyday lives
1: yeah i, I you know yeah this is i think um many things in one's life can function as a religion hmm. so i think religion um You know, if you think about religion as a comprehensive system of explanation, yeah, I think for some people, they are devoted to a certain philosophical uh, school of thought, and it provides the comprehensive framework in uh, the way they think about everything. Then there are some people who are ideologically committed to certain positions and perspectives. Um, But I think religion is is more than that. Um, Religion is uh, community rituals uh things that give us meaning and identity and yeah this the discipline of philosophy can do that for people too there are rituals that philosophers (laughs) engage in i guess they're called conferences (laughs) Uh, and and there's uh authoritative figures and texts that we use and uh then there's associations and communities we belong to that give us a sense of community and identity um, and, and, and some people, I guess, it, they could do that exclusively. Yeah. But I also know uh, of people who are philosophers that are really interested in X issue or X figure. And they, it's not a substitute for their religious community, their, their faith, but they're people able like to integrate. You. Well, I, I try, <laughs> right? You try to integrate um, uh, the, the very aspects of uh, your life and the different communities you're a part of into uh, something that you know, uh, involves both.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Um, so just to kind of, as we're uh, getting into the last bits of the conversation, um, are there some important differences that you would say there are to keep in mind between philosophy and, and uh, let's say, faith or Christianity or religion or whichever word you want to use?
1: Yeah, yeah I would say um, a fundamental point of well, similarity or difference is that even philosophers like to think of themselves as using reason alone. So we're thinking through certain questions and trying to make progress on coming to an answer about the truth on those questions. And often the claim is using reason alone. I think this is an ideal. And in reality, is that re- uh, e- e- even in philosophers, there's usually an authority that we're are looking to or that is shaping the way we're approaching the problem right so yeah. if you're a Kantian uh the authority of Kant is, <laughs> and his writings is what shapes the way you think about stuff so the ideal of reason alone is to think you know there's very few people who are just sitting in a room and coming up with the answers by themselves there's usually you know some authority but I think um the difference between philosophy as a discipline of thinking clearly and carefully about important questions by reason alone Um, And religion or uh, let's say Christianity would be religion, I would say, a characteristic of many religions is it's not by reason alone. There's usually some kind of claim um, to uh, some uh, revelation, which is a a truth or truths that are being revealed by a source or something other than uh, just human reason that we are reasoning about or reasoning with or reasoning against. So there's the, the voice of uh, the prophet, uh, the, the voice of God, uh, that they don't, they're not coming to the conclusion saying, you know, here's what I think you should do, or here's how I came to this conclusion thinking about it. It's like, no, it's uh, thus says the Lord, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. that's, uh, whoa, what do you do with that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so what Christian theologians, and I would say maybe philosophers try to do, is to think about a particular issue in light of that. Uh, right, and kind of and that becomes sense yeah, it. and that becomes part of the either uh, something that you take very seriously in your thinking, or it becomes it's the basis for your thinking, or you're in serious conversation with it. So it's a conversation that's not just by reason alone, and but I would argue that most philosophers are not just you know reasoning alone. We're always reasoning with others, yeah. and there's authorities and traditions that we're a part of. If we're going to be honest, so.
0: Yeah. And I think it's I don't think it's even possible to just arrive at something by reason alone, just by virtue of being human. Like everything that we are is shaped by so much else that like you can't it's hard to just say something is exclusively and like just only one thing. Because, you know, there's our like subconscious experience that Mm -hmm. just doesn't allow us to see a lot of things. So, yeah, I completely agree with that.
1: You sound like a good uh, hermeneutical phenomenologist
0: <laughs> you know I'm, I'm definitely getting <laughs> in, in more and more interested as the moments pass, so you know we'll see um, so just to wrap up, um mm-hmm. what would you say um what i you you've obviously spent a great deal of your life studying philosophy mm-hmm. right so why would what would you say is uh the reason that it's important to you
1: um, uh, important to me personally
2: yes. You know, Maybe,
1: you know, I'm going to share this. Uh, I have a, an insight I got from a colleague. Uh, I was uh, adjuncting uh, a few years back at a state college, and we shared an office, all the adjunct professors did. And I had a colleague who was a professor of geography, and uh, and he had a PhD in it. And I had no idea this was even a thing. <laughs> and so I asked him, we're just hanging out in the office, I said, hey, so uh, what do, you know, Geography uh, professors do Like you know What what scholars do And this is kind of An ignorant question But he um, I guess was very used To getting this kind of question He says you know I like to think of myself As Helping people locate themselves In space and time (laughs) That right. is
0: a good way to look at it. Yeah.
1: And I was like, I'm gonna steal that and talking about philosophy, right? So why 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 should one study philosophy? Why do I have philosophy study mm. philosophy? Why do I think why do I wanna teach students about philosophy? Is I would like to help them conceptually locate themselves in space and time. That's okay. And that that I think helps students get a sense of bearings as to where 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 am I? Mm. What are the options and where do I wanna go? And that's something that hopefully through this study of philosophy they get to do for themselves
0: that 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 was an amazing answer i don't know what i was expecting when i asked that question but i (laughs) thought that was a a great answer so do you have any advice for uh our listeners or any other budding budding philosophers Mm -hmm. out there
1: yeah if you're not familiar with uh uh, the discipline of philosophy or philosophers uh, pick up the ideas of somebody and, and read and, and debate so and there. think, yeah, go from there and, and if you don't want to do philosophy, you could read the book of Ecclesiastes
2: <laughs>
0: there, you, you always have that, yeah <laughs> okay, thank you so much Dr. Yi for being on uh, the podcast with us, uh, I'm sure our listeners really appreciate it
1: hey, thanks for the invite, it's been a lot of fun
2: thank you for joining us on a scholarly meeting we hope that you enjoyed this episode with dr yi and hazel
0: we hope that you come back to our next episode which will be released in march and um, the month of march we will have two episodes featuring
2: dr dwight and dr Braun. <music>